Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today we're going to do a little breastfeeding, and we're going to do a little bit beyond, too, with Dr. Andrew Doro. Dr. Doro, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marie, for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that Dr. Doro has been here before, and really to uh, incredible reviews, we've had a lot of downloads of his previous show on cranial, uh, uh, cranial deformation, and we're going to go into that a little deeper today in celebration of Plagiocephaly Day. But let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Doro. He holds a Doctor of Chiropractic degree from Logan College in Chiropractic in St. Louis, Missouri. He has also earned a postgraduate certification from the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, that is the ICPA. Dr. Doro has published in the Journal of Clinical Chiropractic Pediatrics, and he has also contributed case studies to Logan College and the Practice-Based Research Network with ICPA. Practicing at Little Flower Family Medicine, he assesses and treats infants with various forms of structural issues, including but not limited to cranial bone deformation, cervical spine dysfunction, and oropharyngeal dysfunction. Through early recognition, he has successfully reduced the impact of these dysfunctions on the infant's ability to latch, suck, swallow, and breathe while breastfeeding. A native of St. Louis, Missouri, Dr. Doro is known for providing highly skilled and safe treatment to prenatal, maternal, postnatal, neonatal, and uh, infant patients. And with that, I just want to say, I am aware that people have come to Dr. Doro from literally hundreds of miles. So we are not able to be with him in his office today, but we certainly do have his brain power here as we talk about plagiocephaly. Now, uh, plagiocephaly is, uh, I have read statistics anywhere between 25 and 44% of the kids that are infants uh, are uh, having issues with plagiocephaly. So it's a high likelihood that you have seen such an infant or maybe you have such an infant. So we really want to be able to help you today. Dr. Doro, can you start us please with um, what exactly is plagiocephaly? Well, to start off, it's a big fancy $50 word that very few people um, or lay people will actually understand what it is. So for everyone out there that doesn't know what it is, it's the kids in the helmets. Um, But (laughs) plagiocephaly basically is very simple. It's when one or more bones of the skull or the head get either compressed, flattened, or shifted from their normal shape or position. Oh, often, excellent. Yeah, yeah, often yeah. they look, thank you, they often have like an asymmetric and abnormal head shape appearance. Yeah, you know, when I see those 25% to 44%, I'm like, whoa. But, you know, truly, I've seen them in clinical practice, and I see them walking around the the Costco when I'm grocery shopping. So Mm -hmm. I don't think those 
figures are all that far afield. What do you think? You know, it's hard to pin it down because the reality is there just are not any good studies, if any, for randomized controlled trials to really follow the occurrence and uh, prevalence of plagiocephaly. Right, right. Because not everyone that has it are going to see professionals about it. So there are a large subset of people that probably think there's something wrong, but they just have no resource to do anything about it. It goes unreported, untreated, and then from there, who knows? Right. Well, and we've certainly seen that with other conditions throughout the decades. So that shouldn't surprise me at all. I will tell you, though, it seems to me that parents instinctively, and I have learned this from just working with parents for dozens of years, it seems to me that parents kind of instinctively know that something is wrong with their kid. And it doesn't necessarily have to be plagiocephaly, but they just kind of know. So I guess my question to you is, how do you, presumably these parents are coming to you because they do know that something is wrong. But I have been aware that a lot of times the doctor just tells them, "Ah, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, The baby will outgrow it. So what would you say to this parent who thinks that there might be something wrong, but the pediatrician hasn't really urged them to follow it up? I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's the most common concern and question I handle on the first visit with these babies that have a head shape condition. The parent is often told that, hey, you know what? No big deal. Uh, It'll just watch and wait, um, and we'll follow up in a couple months. It'll fix itself. Well, these parents also then complain that it didn't fix itself, and there's other issues that came uh, from that. So I will tell you, if you're a parent or even a physician or a a healthcare practitioner that come across these things, doing nothing is the last thing you want to do. Um, There definitely is a place for early intervention and early treatment if you find it in time. All right, I'm good with that, but this show is about debunking the myths and clarifying the facts. So here's a myth, I think, I think. What happens when the pediatrician tells the parent, this is just cosmetic? Well, first and foremost with that, there there is no research to substantiate that claim. None whatsoever. Um, And when you, the problem is this, I think most pediatricians, if they knew what to do, they would be able to give you some advice or some help, but a lot of them just don't. It's not really their, if you will, their bailiwick. It's not something yeah. they're ultimately concerned about. There's no uh, overbearing pathology or disease at, at threatening them because there is a lack of research. So when we have less research in the medical field, there typically has this watch and wait uh, protocol. And the time you watch and wait and the baby's six months old, seven months or eight months old, it's so... F- far much of a problem that you have to choose a more expensive intervention such as helmet therapy. I also want to ask you then, it seems to me that pediatricians are largely trained in disease recognition and treatment. Correct. And chiropractors, now correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of chiropractors is that they are trained in the structure and the function of the body that that presumes that the body is uh, normal. So it seems to me that in your line of work, you have a, an ability really to look at these bones that 
I got to tell you, I'm no chiropractor, but they don't look right to me. They can't look right to you. That's right. So my job is to assess the structural and the functional component of a human. So if we're looking at an infant that has a head or a neck shape issue, a head shape problem or a neck function problem, they typically come with some kind of complaint. So it's not just a cosmetic that I'm looking at, or it's not a pathology or disease I'm looking for. It's more of a structural and a functional problem that can ultimately lead to a disease or some other dysfunctional down the road. Yeah, see, I hear you talking, and I'm thinking about this uh, kid just a few days ago that mm-hmm. I kind of rolled my eyes. We had a feeding problem, okay, mm-hmm. a feeding problem. I kind of roll my eyes, and I think to myself, oh, this kid could really benefit from chiropractic. But let me go to where we were the last time that we did an episode together. I remember that I started out by saying to you, hey, look it. You know, I've had chiropractic therapy myself, but I'm a grown adult. Are you going to tell me that chiropractic therapy is okay for a newborn? For those who didn't hear the first show, can, can you bring us up to date here? Absolutely can. If done correctly, chiropractic, pediatric chiropractic methodology is very safe for newborns and infants. There is no high force. Uh, there is no associated popping or cracking noises with any kind of soft tissue or bone adjustment. It is just an a skilled, low-pressure, gentle adjustment to the soft and hard tissue to normalize the structure so it can increase the functional performance. So the whole goal here, Marie, is to identify the structure and function. When we have an abnormal structure, we will then begin to have or witness a abnormal functional performance. Function. Yeah. For example, for the breastfeeding example, for the breastfeeding dyad, since mm-hmm. we're all kind of on that page, if a baby has a head shape or structural issue and a neck shape, aka structural issue, oftentimes a mother will have a experience a pain with the during the functional performance of that baby trying to breastfeed. So we have a direct correlation between baby head shape, function and structure as it relates to for pain-free or effective milk transfer at the breast. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. What it says to me is that when your body is not in alignment, and I think this would go for newborns, infants, adults, if your body is not in a a good alignment, it's going to have a structural problem, excuse me, a functional issue, right? Absolutely. If your jaw isn't set right on your face, you're going to have an orthodontic or a jaw functioning problem. So the, the body, human body is meant to be in a normal uh, structural position, just like the chassis and the wheels on your car. If the two front wheels are turned in or towed in or towed out, you'll have an abnormal wear and tear in a functional performance issue with right. your car. It's the same physics and mechanics. Um, I will say this, the physics and mechanics of a human are far more sophisticated and complicated <laughs> than that of a car. I imagine. So, Right. So, and of course, it's difficult to assess an infant when you can't talk to them and they can't talk to you. So, a lot of people are overlooking this because they just aren't quote unquote tuned into it or don't experience it or don't look at it through the correct looking glass. My job is to look at the infant from a completely different non medical perspective. Thankfully, I'm lucky enough to work in a uh, facility that has lactation specialists, um, nurse practitioners, and medical physicians to clear and examine the baby for any kind of medical diagnoses. My job, and they refer to me, so I can look at through my 
functional biomechanical assessment eye and use my skill set to functionally treat them with my hands. Yeah. I want to ask you this, too. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk in a minute about some of the other problems than feeding, although I think Dr. Dorla and I are both here to tell you it absolutely affects feeding. But I want to know about how this all affects the parent. Does the parent feel guilty or feel like they have done something wrong? Yes, they do, and they should not. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really don't think it's the parents doing anything wrong. If anyone is doing something wrong, it's our, it's our system. It's our fault. It's the providers and the, and the physicians' fault for not creating a preventive uh, early recognition awareness system to empower parents with the right knowledge to prevent it and early intervene if they notice it. It is not their problem. It's not their fault. The parent can do something, and I think we're going to show them how to do something here pretty soon. Yeah, because I got to tell you, when I was a young nurse, there's no way I would have recognized this. And actually, after our previous show together, I was asking myself how many kids I had dropped through my own cracks just because I wasn't, well, I didn't really know as much as I know now kind of thing. So other than other than feeding, what other kinds of issues could this baby be like? You know, I think the parents kind of really recognize when there's a feeding problem, but there are other problems that this baby could be experiencing. What would that be? Yes. uh, Some other things that can occur along with a head or neck shaped problem would be an inability for them to have good neck and head control or an inability to perform a, what I would call an enjoyable or an effective tummy time. Babies that are always uh, in the tummy time position, but can't function, seem to be really fussy and scream. Uh, They hate being laid on their back oftentimes because maybe their head or neck is uncomfortable. And we can see this from a glaring, obvious head shape problem or maybe a neck rotation, also known as torticollis in some cases, or just a neck strain. Right. So if this baby has a history of a a traumatic labor and delivery and they have a head and neck uh, compression strain or some kind of injury with that process, then that's setting them up for some kind of issue that might be causing plagiocephaly. How about, uh, you know, I when I teach my comprehensive lactation course, I really hammer on the idea of suck, swallow, breathe has to be coordinated. So what about breathing and swallowing here? Yeah, so if a baby uh, has an abnormal head shape, typically the head is not positioned on the neck correctly. So if the head meets the spine and the baby has their chin tucked to their chest, they're not able to suck, swallow, and breathe. So if you can play along with me, be the baby. Go ahead and look down sure. for me and tuck your chin to your chest and kind of tilt your head to the right. Go ahead Deal and suck it. a couple times and swallow and then breathe three times. It's very difficult because the airway and the feeding way is closed down. And we can see that um, with a flattening of the back of the head sometimes or a head tilt or a head rotation. And these babies will likely have problems with snoring, airway, oh, sinus congestion, oh feeding efficiency, milk transfer, sleep, tummy time. And some, uh, if severe enough, can have developmental delays and maybe even some um, ocular problems with the position of the eyes. If it's not Uh, caught correctly. That's a lot going on. On the other side of the break, I want to ask you to talk to us about a recent study that I'm aware of that came out. Um, We'll save that for the other side of the break. But I I do want to go back to this idea that I think I understand you correctly. 
that this is all related to this whole business of shifting of the bones and the head head and the neck are inseparable, correct? Correct. All right. So it stands to reason then that if these babies have got these bones that don't even look right to me, it's because these bones have shifted and that the whole idea of the head being absolutely connected to the neck and we know that in that neck function we've certainly got the the swallow but we've also got that whole idea of suck swallow breathe and when i will tell you that from where i sit unless that baby can do suck swallow breathe breastfeeding is not going to go well and that doesn't even begin to address the issues of for instance uh sore nipples with the mother and uh lack of enough stimulation and so forth that that's like another whole thing hey everybody do not go away i'm marie biancuzo i am here today with dr andrew doro we will be right back after this short break Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Dr. Andrew Doro, and we are talking about plagiocephaly, that is, flathead syndrome. I would just like to invite you, please, to think about coming to my comprehensive lactation course if you are looking to become an IBCLC. It offers all 90 hours that you would need in order to become eligible for that exam. I will be giving it live in several cities, and I will also have an online version for you as well. Dr. Doro, I promised people that we would talk about that new study that just came out. It was a um, systematic review. For those of you who are not familiar, a systematic review is basically a review of a study of studies is basically what it is. That's a a little bit... um, it's a little bit more than that, but uh, that's the idea. Talk to us about what they, uh, the author and the source and what they found. Absolutely. So Associate Professor uh, Alexandra Martiniuk, I'm pretty sure I said that correctly, uh, from the University of Sydney, did a um, retrospective review of 19 papers that were published in the Journal of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics. And she did find uh, that it looks like it is essential that doctors, nurses, and midwives monitor infants with flat head syndrome. And this is because the study shows that positional plagiocephaly, or flathead, is associated with an increased risk of developmental delays, in particular, motor skills. And that's a key word, motor skills. skills. We need motor skills in order to latch, suck, swallow, and breathe, have head and neck control, which is important for tummy time. Tummy time is important because it helps program the brain stem. We know this for sure. It's called neurosensory integration. It's the fundamental framework that we need to have higher brain function. So the study of the 19 papers showed the following, okay? It showed delays in motor skills in language and cognition were detected in infants as young as six months old and remained for up to three years. So, yeah, even though it's appearing cosmetic to the untrained eye, and if you don't understand uh, neurochemistry, the flow of cerebral spinal fluid, uh, the importance of programming the brainstem via proprioception or joint stimulation, you would never understand that to be anything other than cosmetic. But from my perspective, knowing how um, neurobiomechanics work, that's a fancy way for how brain, muscle, and joint talk to each other. Um, We have to give input and have those joints and the brain talking to each other in order to establish a normal development pattern. It's not just cosmetic. There is no research that suggests otherwise to the date. I want to understand a couple of things. First Mm -hmm. of all, you are telling me that in your clinical experience and from all of the research that you have read, there is no proof that the baby will outgrow it or that it is only cosmetic. Correct. Okay. And I just want to, mm-hmm. I just want to remind everybody, if you just joined us in the second segment here, we're talking about plagiocephaly, just, just to <laughs> let you know here. Um, and the other thing that I guess I want to clear with you is that study of studies that you just talked about, 
they were saying that the inability to do these motor skills at a particular time was not necessarily resolved later that it could persist into older babyhood. Is that my understanding? Yep, up to three years. And on that note, the most commonly reported delay was in motor skills, which was classified as sitting up and crawling. And what do you think wow. a precursor is to sitting up and crawling? Tummy time. I would think tummy time. <laughs> yeah, sure. it's a big buzzword. Everyone sure. talks about it. Parents go, oh, my baby hates tummy time. Well, why? It's a normal why? function. If you didn't like to be on your stomach, you would probably see a doctor about that. Why should we not treat infants the same way? It comes down to this, Marie. I'm just an advocate for infant wellness. Someone has to be the baby and advocate for those little ones that can't talk for themselves. And wow. I can't I can't hang my head on something and, and vouch. And I'm a parent. I have a beautiful little daughter. I would not settle for anything less, especially if there was no research based on it. So I'm not going to sit by the wayside for 20 years waiting for a randomized controlled trial just to <laughs> prove what I already seen in clinic and read with my common sense. I- this is not going to happen to my daughter and I. Uh, well, you know, as I frequently say, because sometimes I get some pushback from other professionals who say, where's your randomized control trial to prove that? And I sometimes will say, you know what? I don't really have that. However, what is the alternative? It may take 10 or 20 or more years. I may be retired by the time that we get that randomized control trial. And what am I supposed to say to parents in the meanwhile? Goodbye and good luck? Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. I, I just parents, don't think that no, parents should not accept that. Well, especially if their baby is uh, apparently in a suffering state. They're screaming, they're crying, they're fussy, they can't feed. And oh, by the way, they have a head and neck issue. Right. Yeah, and I want to repeat what Dr. Doro just said, which is if a kid doesn't like tummy time, the reason he doesn't like it or doesn't want to do it is that it is not comfortable. But that is a normal function. Uh, By the way, I have read statistics that the flathead syndrome, well, let me back up a minute. Now, this is only my humble understanding, and I will cheerfully defer to you if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that plagiocephaly, that is the flathead syndrome, might occur in utero, as we were talking about last time. So it could be that the baby gets stuck mm-hmm. while the, the mother is, in, uh, excuse me, while the baby is inside of the mother or during the labor and delivery process, bangs his bones in a way that is not uh, optimal. So that could cause part of the flathead syndrome. But I have also read that it, we started the back to sleep campaign in 1993 and I remember it very distinctly because I was big time uh, in a major medical center where we were uh, basically just having to you know change everything we'd ever told anybody and it is my understanding that this plagiocephaly or flathead syndrome has increased substantially since 1993. Am I wrong on either one of those points? No you're correct on all those. Okay, so baby could have flathead syndrome in utero, or baby could get flathead syndrome later. Okay. Or both. And or that's both. Where, okay. And, and to segue in your last question, last you asked me, should a parent feel responsible or guilty for this? I think a lot of parents take on that guilt, and they shouldn't. It's not their most of the time. I would I would bet you ninety percent of 
I can't give a percentage, but a very high percent of parents do not intentionally um, just lay their baby on their back for hours and hours on and ignore them. They have some kind of underlying condition. They go, they put their baby back to sleep, which they are told to do by their pediatrician, which is fine. But they also have a complicating factor, maybe a long uh, delivery or a labor delivery issue, compression of the head. There might have been um, the the baby might have been in utero in a in an odd or a compressed shape. That's not the parent's fault. The right. parent is trying right. to do everything they can to be a good parent. Don't sure. take that away from parents. So if you're feeling that there's something wrong with your baby right. and you're yeah. being told no, follow your intuition, follow your gut. I do it as a parent and a physician. Yeah, I guess I would say the same of myself. All right, so this is all well and fine. We know that you're a chiropractor. We know that you help these kids. However, I'm going to sit here as the host and I'm going to say parents need to unpack, well, parents need to be offered and be aware of all of the options that they might have to treat the baby with uh, the flat head. Yes. So other than chiropractic, what I sort of get the impression that the helmets are the default here, but what are all the options? Absolutely. So I strongly urge every patient of mine to also see a pediatric physical therapist. I'm a strong believer in um, multidisciplinary approach um, with a wide scope of practice to increase the effectiveness and decrease the amount of money and time spent on treating a condition. So I will do mobilization and soft tissue uh, treatment where the physical therapist will help that change stay. So I immobilize the tissue and the physical therapist will help it show the tissue how to stay and how to move. So pediatric physical therapy, um, massage, head massage therapy, chiropractic therapy, repositioning at home, different ways to place your child when they sleep, uh, depending how you do sleep, maybe co-sleeping or sleeping in a bassinet next to your bed. There's many, many things you can do to be proactive um, to avoid it. And when you do notice it, there are things you can do such as um, immediately things you can do to not wait and watch. Okay, so I'm hearing you say that, well, I don't know if I heard you say, but I have heard parents say that what they do is they take their baby to the pediatric physical therapist. Okay, Mm -hmm. I think I heard you say that the baby could also be seen by the physical therapist maybe one day and then seen by the chiropractor the next day or some such thing like that? Right. I'm glad you brought that up. So we had a conversation um, with a physical therapist that I work for, and we con- we actually conferred with each other, and we found that when they the infant sees me first, it makes the physical therapist's job easier. And okay. we actually have a quicker, more swift resolution of the problem uh, in trying to avoid a helmet orthosis. So actually, um, if there's physical therapists listening and chiropractors listening, I really urge you to work together. We do completely different things. Completely different things. And, um, can you tell our listeners ahead. what ortho, orthosis is? Yeah, orthosis <laughs> is a fancy word for helmet. Yeah. <laughs> plastic, <laughs> a, a plastic medical grade helmet, uh, which is very expensive and has to be worn for 23 hours a day for up to three months. And there's an associated risk with those things, of course. Um, But when the physical therapist and the chiropractor work together, I am going to tell you with experience, this is going to be the standard of care. There are no research or trials or papers on this because it doesn't exist yet in mainstream. 
This is happening in St. Louis. I work with um, a, a Mercy Hospital, uh, which is a large hospital here, and a lot of their physical therapists we will work, refer back and forth to each back and forth to each other to ensure complete care. Okay, what about the occupational therapist? Where does he or she come in, if at all? Typically, occupational therapists will come later in the game if it's caught later in the game. So there's three. There's a great way to look at this workflow. Okay, pediatric chiropractor first helps release and mobilize the tissue. Okay. The physical therapist will help um, show that uh, help the tissue stay or show the tissue um, how to work, and the occupational therapist will show the tissue why to work. Sensory wow. cueing, reach, reach for your hand over here, reach for the bottle or the device over here. There's no hands-on care with an occupational therapist. It's just not their scope of practice. I see. The physical therapist, they can do the long lever or the stretches, but if the infant's neck is and the joints are jammed shut and you go to try to stretch that area, that baby's going to scream. It's right. not a fun right. session. The physical, the physical therapist says, I can't believe how much more enjoyable my, as their job is when they, the infant sees me first, because the infant is more comfortable and gets faster results from the actual physical therapy. And if they make it that far, then they'll see the occupational therapist. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you, though, to go back to this business with the helmet, because I'm telling you, it is my sort of casual observation that everybody thinks that their kid has got a helmet, got to have a helmet. And I think you're saying, no, they don't necessarily have to have a helmet, that that is one of several options. I also want to tell you that I have read that the helmets can can cost from three or four or five thousand dollars. And I have read that insurance doesn't usually cover them. Correct. So mild to moderate plagiocephaly research shows there's not that much of a change. Helmets are typically used in severe cases. And in the severe cases, they still have limited uh, studies showing a good comparison between repositioning physical therapy and chiropractic. There isn't a large gap. So the cost of care with physical therapists and chiropractic is substantially lower and it's covered by insurance. Oh, right. Helmet orthoses are not. They're very expensive, and if it needs to be covered by insurance, it has to be rated as severe. And the only way you can rate it as severe is to have a sophisticated head scan that shows number values or numerical values, which I can help guide you guys to that to assess that how to read that later. But there is a number uh, scale that they use to decide if it's severe enough for insurance coverage on a helmet or not. So help us to understand then why... Do we see so many of these kids in a helmet? And by the way, they're pictured all over the place. You're mm-hmm. telling me that the research to support that as a routine or as a first choice is slim or maybe less than slim? Slim to none. And slim's <laughs> out of town. You know, so the real reason is okay. nobody really knows what to do. It's very difficult to manage these cases. Trust me, if it was easy, I would not be one to be on this podcast interview trying to help parents to avoid it. It's even tough for me. So the whole uh, problem is we're not at a hospital system level. We're not educating parents and creating awareness on what to expect with your baby's head and feeding in the first 30 days. It has to be proactive. Um, So 
we don't know what to do. And when we recognize it, we had to use something else to do the job for us, which would be a helmet. It's the easiest uh, escape route. It re- requires less, the least amount of brain power and requires the most amount of money. And, and I would add something else to that, Dr. Doral. I think that parents don't want their kids to be seen in these helmets. They don't. Every single one of them do not want to have a helmet on their child. They do everything they can to avoid it. Uh, and they're told that sometimes it's all they have to do. Wow. Yeah, because that whole stigma, I mean, that's probably a whole separate conversation. It but is. I, I think, here's the thing. Parents, and, and I think that this applies to more than just plagiocephaly. I have seen this over the years of being a, a nurse, a clinical nurse specialist for decades. Parents get one option and they think that that's what they're supposed to be doing when in fact... Very often, there are other options that have not been explored, and I'm okay with the parent who says, nope, I still want to do whatever. Okay, that's fine. That's their choice, but they need to understand that there's a whole bunch out there, and oh, by the way, you're one of them, and I believe that you talked to us early, but Mm -hmm. let's just reinforce, please, it is never too early to bring the baby to the... uh, pediatric chiropractor is that correct it's never too early and never too late even if you have to have a helmet and we still need to get care for the head and neck even if the helmet is supposed to change the cosmetic appearance it's not just the cosmetic it's the neck and head function that we also want to make sure is normal okay. so it's never too early to get treatment it's never too late to get treatment ah okay with and or that's... without a helmet okay but I think you're also going to say that if the infant sees the pediatric chiropractor sooner rather than later, that would be a good thing. Very and good. I also want to remind people that we're talking here about a pediatric chiropractor, one who has been specially certified. We're not talking about the regular chiropractor who treats uh, adults. So don't go away. (laughs) There's plenty more that we can say about plagiocephaly, flathead syndrome, and Dr. Doro and I will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Dr. Andrew Doro. We are talking about plagiocephaly. As you know, Plagiocephaly Awareness Day is here, and we want to make sure that people understand what it is, how to get help, and the importance of the parent really taking the reins here, because sometimes these things can kind of go by the wayside. I would like to invite all of you to visit me, I'm at MarieBiancuzzo.com, and that would be M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. And I would like to invite you to go and have, if, if, if you don't have enough Dr. Doro here, <laughs> there's more, and here it is. It's DrAndrewDoro.com, and I believe that is D-R-A-N-D-R-E-W-D-O-R-O-U-G-H.com. Dr. Doro, did I do that right? That's correct. Okay, just making sure. All right. So I'm kind of big on people asking questions. And actually, I do that myself, whether I am uh, looking for health care or baking a pie or designing a course. I try to ask myself, what 
what are the questions that need to be asked? It seems to me like here the parent needs to be doing the asking. So if you were the parent, I, I mean, I know you are a parent, but mm-hmm. <laughs> if you were a parent with this with this uh, situation, what questions would you be asking to the pediatrician or to the world? Right. I would be asking, you know, should I be concerned? Okay. Can it be fixed? Ah. Um, is it only cosmetic? Uh-huh. What are my treatment options? Okay. And how long will it take to fix it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be wanting to know that. And of course, will it fix itself if I do nothing? Yeah. Okay. How, even in a severe case, how likely is it that the, you said the question is, can you, can you fix it or can it be fixed? Mm-hmm. Even in severe cases, can it be fixed? In a severe case, it takes a team approach. You know, it would definitely take a, a player like me, a, um, pediatric physical therapist, and it all depends how soon you catch it. You know, helmeting is not even considered to be done until they're six months old. So if we catch the problem at six months and we start treatment at six months, it's a poorer prognosis, meaning it's less likely to respond quickly. But if we catch this severe issue in the first six weeks, excellent prognosis. I have a great case I managed with a physical therapist where I, we caught it at six weeks old. Uh, the child had six, pretty severe, and we have actual proof um, about the head change that I managed with the physical therapist. I did seven treatments. The physical therapist did two treatments, and it was basically completely resolved, completely resolved in a matter of eight weeks. And a child avoided a helmet. Okay. I understand all that, but I'm thinking about this six months thing mm-hmm. in relation to what we said earlier in the show, which is, in the meanwhile, that baby may be not developing the motor skills that he needs, right? Right, exactly. So even though we catch it late in the game and you decide to do a helmet or not, you still have to consider all the lack of functional performance and milestones that they missed. Tummy time and head control, feeding and swallowing and breathing, those are all essential milestones, developmental motor patterns that have to develop. And if they aren't meeting those and the case is very severe, Getting on top of that sooner than later and not just hoping that the quote-unquote cosmetic appearance changes itself, we have to ask ourselves, will the functional performance and motor skill and milestone development also change itself and um, make up for lost time? That's the real question we have to ask ourselves. Tell me time, uh, I'm sorry, tell me time is not uh, just a fun thing, right? Correct. It is not just a fun thing. And most parents would say it's not fun because the baby usually screams. However, it is a necessary part of development, yes? It's a great development tool. It's also a great assessment tool for the parents and physicians. Okay. So you have to ask, you you know, will this head shape impact my child's head and neck functional performance? And will the helmet fix that? Will the helmet enhance yeah. functional performance? I don't think so. It's just a container. It doesn't change cervical spine function or tongue function. So that goes back to that whole neurosensory integration that you were talking about earlier. Correct. 
Okay. Do you give, uh, I, I know you do, <laughs> give parents uh, activities that they need to do at home after you have given the baby the treatment? And Absolutely. if so, what? Absolutely. There are many different types of um, um, holds and exercises and playful, what I call playful opportunities to help reprogram and have an adjustment hold. Um, uh-huh. One I call the baby accordion. Parents love it. Um, I think what I'll do is some point have a video on my website so parents can actually watch this uh, done live. Um, there are different types of neck massage routines you can do just to stimulate the neck and the head, bicycle kicks, Anything you can do to normalize spine motion and head motion uh-huh. so it uh-huh. quickens the process. You know, all we have to do is soften the, the tissue that encases the head. The brain drives head shape. So as the brain grows, the head shape will change. But if all the tissue around the head is compressed and tight in the neck and also in the head, that change is limited. The chiropractor loosens that tissue. The helmet just contains the head. So the helmet will be limited. The actual physical problem requires a physical solution to treat the head and the neck tissue. That way, when the brain grows, the head can then take its shape naturally. And the greatest amount of brain development is? In the first year of life. Yeah, definitely. Very important. That's why catching this in the first 30 days is imperative. Becoming aware of the signs and symptoms how to avoid them and what to do as soon as you notice it is so crucial and paramount to not only trying to avoid a helmet if that's your, if that's your goal, but also to ensure a good uh, development pattern, their motor skills, cognition, behavior, all these things build on one another, like building blocks. Yes. You have to crawl before you walk, walk before you run, that. run before you write cursive, and then you have higher level brain function higher cognition, and you have a smart little kid in high school making straight A's. <laughs> well, that's know, what we all want. <laughs> I know it sounds trivial, but it really is that just that simple. I, I think the other thing that's really hitting me here is if I were the parent of this baby, and if I thought that I could be doing stuff for him at home, first of all, that would make me feel like I'm more in control because, hello, I am a little bit of a control freak. I want to be able to do something. I don't want necessarily mm-hmm. to just say, oh, here, Dr. Doro, here's my kid. Do what you can. And, you know, I'm off the hook. I want to be involved in my kid's care. All the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm also thinking that I would want to feel confident that that baby was actually going to be able to do what I was helping him to do. And it kind of sounds like he's not going to be able to do those activities unless you can, uh, you, meaning the chiropractor, can loosen up that that tissue so that he actually can do that. Have I got that? That, that is so correct. You know, okay. my job is to make your job and the pediatric physical therapist's job easier and also the baby's job. So once we free up and mobilize all the soft tissue and spinal tissue, then your job becomes easier. The baby enjoys it more. And now it's fun and playtime. But until you actually go in and treat the physical cause or that restricted joint or that uncomfortable swollen joint or tender muscle, then anything I give you to do at home or anything the physical therapist tries to do will almost seem like you're torturing your child. Nobody wants to do something with their baby and cause them to cry. No, absolutely It's just not a fun experience. So my job is to make that a little bit more enjoyable and doable. Yeah, you're basically enabling the baby to help himself and Correct. you're certainly enabling the parent to yes. be involved in that care in, the, in a positive way. I will say parents do 50% of my work at home. 
I am so really? adamant. Oh yeah, I'm. It's such a team effort. It's a beautiful thing. It's a joint effort. Pun intended. Sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if if I do my job correctly and I empower and give the parents knowledge, which I can do in person or over media, um, my results are much better. The parents' results are much better. The baby's results are much better. Everyone's happier if we all just work together. And it's 50% me, it's 50% the parent or whoever else I'm sharing the care with. It's very important that we all do equal work to ensure a good result. And that starts with good education and good instruction. About how many times a week does the baby need to be seen by the pediatric chiropractor? And I realize this would depend on the baby's age and severity and all that. But can you give us some some range here? Yeah, to start off, I usually do either um, one treatment in the first four weeks or maybe two treatments in the first two weeks. So it just depends on how severe and how, how late or early we caught the condition because we want to make sure we expedite um, the process. So anywhere between one or two times a week just for a short period of time, and then we slowly wean off. Um, the short end would be anywhere between six to 10 treatments, and the long end over time would be anywhere between 12 to 16 treatments just depending on severity. Would you say that the parent sees improvement in the first couple of weeks or so? Typically, a parent will notice functional improvement. Oh, go figure. We're treating function. Right. Once we improve function, then the structure slowly changes and helps itself. Okay. I don't go in there and forcefully manipulate a baby's head. It's very gentle. The baby's brain and body will do that on its own. All we do is mobilize, set the tissue free, give you some supportive exercises and holds to do at home, maybe see a physical therapist, and it's amazing the kind of functional change you notice. And once you get that functional ball rolling, then the structure really starts to change in shape. Yeah, you know, it was actually not even my own chiropractor. It was his partner one time who said to me, this is a little bit like the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. A body that is in motion stays in motion. Yes, every cell in your body, every molecule moves, everything in your body is meant to move. If it becomes stuck, jammed, compressed, stopped, what have you, it will start to become dysfunctional. And you will see that in some kind of symptom. So I heard you at the beginning of the show saying that there is no snap, crackle, pop that... that might be for some chiropractors, it might be for some adults, there are newer ways now that are used, and particularly there's uh, the pediatric aspect of how you manipulate those babies. But what I want to know is, what is the baby's reaction? If you're doing something to them, mm-hmm. how does they feel to the baby? How does the baby react? Well, there's really no way I can answer that question confidently I can't feel what the baby feels. However... Right. I would say when I feel a swollen or tight muscle and I, and I gently compress it with the amount of pressure you would put on your closed eye, which is about one pound, um, right. the t- babies will be uncomfortable. They'll cry until that okay. muscle relaxes and they'll fall asleep and be happy as a clam. Um, some babies, they don't cry at all. They sleep through the entire process. We cut it soon. It's not severe. So it just depends on severity of the tissue, how irritated it is, how old the child is. Um, if, they, if they've had a compressive or traumatic labor delivery, if they've been dropped on their head, I've had a baby come in because the, the parents accidentally dropped the baby on their head. Oh, accidents, accidents happen. Yes, they do. I, I get it. And I'm not even about to shame anyone. Accidents right. happen. Yes, they do. They happen to me too. So it just depends, Marie. You know, um, I'll tell you this. The treatment I render is nothing compared 
to the labor and delivery process. <laughs> you know, with each volatation or normal push through a first and second stage of labor is recorded in up to 30 pounds of pressure per square inch. The babies are resilient. If they can withstand that and survive, they can certainly re- uh, withstand my one pound fingertip pressure to help correct their subluxation or neck irritated neck strain muscle. Uh, no problem at all. I'm guessing, though, that you probably warned the parent to begin with that the baby might cry. And in mm-hmm. fact, some of them probably do. Some of them probably don't. But I think the message that I want to give to listeners is if the pediatric chiropractor forgets to remind you that this might be uncomfortable and the baby might cry, mm-hmm. uh, don't freak out with that. Don't freak out. It's normal. Babies, they're just telling you, hey, something's wrong. Usually, sure. if they cry for too long, we'll pause. Take a break, let you try to breastfeed, calm your baby down, do some soothing exercises, step away, and then re-enter if, if appropriate. Um, and most of the time, parents will tell me, Dr. Dora, I trust you. Um, my baby cries constantly anyways. That's why I'm here to see you. Sure, sure. They're already so used to it, and I demonstrate on their hands how much pressure I use. And once they feel it, they go, oh, that's no big deal at all. Because if you hold your baby with your own hands, that's how much pressure I would use in my adjustment. So if my treatment's unsafe, you holding your child is unsafe. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yes. It's, it's the way to look at it. So if you're comfortable holding your child's head and neck and gently in your arms, you should be comfortable with a pediatric chiropractor gently holding your child's head and neck in their hands. I think you have made a remarkable uh argument for how the the pediatric chiropractor is a safe and effective means for uh, helping this baby to get better. Is there anything that we haven't talked about as related to what you do in a day that you need to leave parents with a thought of of what the pediatric chiropractor can really do here? I think that the head and neck issue, every baby should have their head and neck checked after labor delivery. Um, it could be a it could be a major source or cause of scoliosis, sinus problems, vision, airway, um, neck pain, headaches. A whole host of things can happen if not caught soon. So, being proactive and not waiting for a problem to rise not only will save you as a parent time, uh, pain and money, but also will save your child in the future any kind of time, pain, and money. It's a great gift you could give as an insurance policy for general structural health and well-being that your child uh, just won't have to deal with when they get older. Yeah, so important. Uh, For those of you who have been listening, I've been talking today with Dr. Andrew Doro. Uh, Dr. Doro is a pediatric chiropractor. And some of the takeaways that I've gotten from Dr. Doro are, first of all, notice what your child is or is not doing and follow your gut. If you think this baby needs more professional help, get it. Secondly, ask the right questions and maybe ask those questions to more than just the pediatrician. Ask that question to as many professionals as you need to, and he mentioned several. Also, consider all of the treatment strategies. And by the way, I would just tell you that as a clinical nurse specialist and as a human being, I would say when you get only one option for something, I don't care what it is, your kid, your car, or anything else, one option is rarely the whole scene. So make sure that you see all of that. And finally, understand how chiropractic really might be the best option for you or for your baby and pursue it 
as Dr. Doro said, it's never too early, but it's also never too late. So, uh, Dr. Doro, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so kindly. I appreciate it, Marie. I know that I will be doing a blog post on this. I'm at MarieBiancuso.com. He is at DrAndrewDoro.com, and that's D-R-AndrewDoro.com. And I would also tell you that there's going to be another great episode next week, so stay tuned. It'll be another guest, but you can still stay tuned. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 